This episode of the Multi-Hypho podcast has been recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Hey, Candy. You know, I was just having these memories of primary school and high school and of how much you lived in the masculine on stage. Like, I think you played male roles more than you played female roles, from Shakespeare to those kooky knockoff rock musicals, to those original devised works. You embodied men more than women. And it was so weird when you got into NIDA and all of a sudden you were completely exotified and objectified and you had to learn what sexy was and you played old women and sex workers and exotic others. You watched your male counterparts, you know, guys that were as funny as you, killing it at improvisation in theatre sports like you did. You watched them get all those great roles that showed their comic talents and showed that they could be dynamic and funny and their bodies weren't even a part of it. I mean, I remember when the Lion King auditions rolled around and really all you wanted to do was audition for Pumbaa. That's just not done in musicals yet, right? We're not there yet. I wonder if... I wonder if we're going to get there, though. And I wonder if one day you won't even have male and female categories at award ceremonies. Now that would be cool. First, when I realised I was non-binary, I had this, like, kind of new confidence about me. But then when I cut my hair for Wentworth, it was like I just instantly felt myself. And, like, Mm. I would walk into a party and people would talk to me and I could talk to them back. And it's not that I couldn't before. I've always been a very confident person. But it was this, like, sitting in my skin with an ease that was so unfamiliar to me because I felt like there was always, like, this niggle you know, like this little like mm. or something that I could never quite get to and I could never just be. I was always trying to be. Um, and yeah. then suddenly I got in this body that almost fits, you know, apart from mm. the minor details. Um, yeah. And it yeah. just did wonders for my self-esteem and for mm. how I view myself and how I feel other people view me. And Yeah. Um, I was able to be, you know, like um, a better partner and a better friend and mm. a better lover and a better kid and all these things because yeah. I felt more good as me. Mm. So I could be mm. more good as all those things. I want to talk to people from multiple identities, multiracial, multisexual, multi-creative folks, people who don't fit neatly into boxes or have to tick multiple boxes or have to make new boxes of their own. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. Zoe Tarakis most recently played Reb Keen in the acclaimed prison drama Wentworth for Foxtel after their first TV appearance on Janet King for the ABC. In 2020, Zoe also made their feature film debut in Ali and Abby and Ali's Dead Aunt, now streaming on SBS. 
It's also just been announced that Zoe will play opposite Nicole Kidman in the new book-to-screen project, Nine Perfect Strangers. Zoe's stage credits include the award-winning A View from the Bridge and A Doll's House Part Two, alongside Metamorphosis and The Wolves. Zoe is a fierce advocate and activist for trans rights within the stage and screen industries here and across the globe. Yeah, I feel exhausted. I feel mm. completely and utterly exhausted. I just feel like the past two weeks, three weeks have been a real test of character and um, the universe going, we're just going to give you as much as we think you can handle to see if you mm. can handle it. And that's what mm. it's felt like. And this past, like, you know, I lost a friend this week um, and it's just been hell and mm. uh yeah i just think it's really been like a test of character um and i frankly yeah i'm exhausted yeah wow yeah how it's, about you it's, oh yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yes yeah. i i can't even i'm like living in so many in such multiplicity that i'm like okay what do i just need to do now yeah. what do, what should i do after that yeah <laughs> and then what and, okay, I'm going to definitely miss these things over here. That's going to fall off the table. I can see that already, you know. And, and the strange, oh, it's just um, the pandemic's put this slant on things where I think it's both super positive and the most extreme. So yeah. anything, loss, the, the normal things that might happen, like yeah. people who would have gotten ill or had a car accident or something, you know, yeah. they keep. I keep bumping into friends who've had massive years. Yeah. You know, like on top of the pandemic, had their first child and gotten cancer. And yeah. then their, part, you know, father-in-law's passed away. And, you know, like exactly what you're saying. So yeah. I like what you talk about in regarding like a test of character. Yeah. Because there is, it feels like there have been a lot of lines in the sand this year as well. Yeah, Totally. What side of her story would you like to be on? Yeah, you know? totally, totally. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't personally, like for somebody who is non-binary, I do fall into quite a binary way of thinking with that stuff. Mm. And I, uh, I, I, I'm still not sure if it's something I need to unteach myself um, yeah. because I do go, there's a line in the sand, you're on our side or you're against us. And I think mm. that's because it's um, what else are we supposed to do? Like when, especially when you are the minority or the group of people mm -hmm. that are on the receiving end, it does feel yeah. so binary. It's like, well, if you're not on our side, then you mean to hurt us. So of course mm. I think you're against us. But I know yes. there's a better, more um, proactive, healthy yes. way of thinking that lets in both sides and allows for conversation and actually allows for change. But I do, I do struggle with it. Mm. It is so interesting though, as you come, like I come from, you know, obviously multiple sort of marginalized mm. identities. I love this. Mama Alto says not, mm. not marginalizing yourself, but you've been marginalized within a mm. context. That's it. Uh, so I'm always interested in, in fact, it's what you said about it's a test of character because for me that's about 
uh, integrity. Yeah. And being able to have integrity no matter um, what the situation is. So being able to maintain what you believe in Mm. no matter what's at stake. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Which I think in an Australian setting it feels like people can weasel out of that a bit more. Like it's like, oh, come on, you know, but in, say, the States or in South Africa or something, the other two places I'm often sort of metaphysically physically in, there's those that that sort of like, "Mm, what if, like, I just take a while to work myself out, though? Like there's no time because, you know, we're losing lives, we're losing human, you know, connection and, and of course, it starts congealing and those sort of yeah against them stuff starts going on. Of course. And I also, I think it, 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 what you just said reminded me of this thing that my dad has always said to me, which is a moral isn't a moral until it costs you. And I mm. think that really applies to uh, being a part of a group that's been marginalised, but also being an ally for a group of mm. people that have been marginalised because I think it's very easy to put something on your Instagram story throughout Black Lives Matter or Trans Awareness Week. But when it comes down to it and somebody misgenders somebody, suddenly all those people who put those things on their Insta stories um, vanish in the room and mm-hmm. are nowhere to be seen. And because the there's a cost in that situation and the cost is it, you feel uncomfortable and you might make the room feel a bit awkward and maybe the person you're talking to is important and you don't want to fuck your relationship with them. But again... A moral is not a moral unless it costs you, you know? And, you know, I remember, so I've always, I've had trans friends from a very young age mm. and I remember going out on a, um, a project and our photographer was my good friend, Mally, and the woman, excellent woman that, that was also on the project kept misgendering and, you know, getting mm. it wrong. And I just sat them down and said, I really need you to get this right. <laughs> and they got yeah. defensive and went, well, da, 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 da. and I went, throw it on me because I really don't want you to throw it on him. Yeah. Throw it all on me. Throw all of it on me right now, right? Yeah. And I know I've had friends do that for me as well, and mm. it just makes such a big difference when the very person in the firing line isn't the one doing the education. Yeah, So, exactly. I, you know, and, and you've got exactly. to think about it. Um, what is it like? For me to say something or do something where where I'm not directly in the fire line is so much easier than moving from that space of of sort of, you know, being right in that fire. Yeah. But I I love asking people about childhood and what they think because I feel like (laughs) the other intersectional culture we're in is like theatre. It's a really nerdy place yeah it's a very specific nerdy place and whenever I go back to high schools and stuff I'm blown away by this time capsule where you just have a bunch of nerds so diverse (laughs) all wanting to do like a theater sports games (laughs) huge Samoan kid tiny white punk boy and like you know a non-binary girl that are like we're a crew and yeah. <laughs> we've been remixing you know um yeah. we've been doing Chekhov and punk together you know like whatever <laughs> that thing is totally. and I think that's how I was with my friends and so I, I'm really interested in what those early sparks were for you to to want to do this this work yeah well I mean I'd always 
been interested in acting and like when I'm an only child so when I was a little kid like you make your own fun you know like there's no siblings mm. to play with. so you're fully building your own world all the time and you play all the characters um and uh I was you know I was always like super interested in it and always I was that kid that always said they were gonna do it and then I kind of got into high school and started really thinking about it and thinking with an actual brain and I was like oh man but the I, like there's no one on TV or in the movies that looks like me. Mm. Like, where where did you go to high school? I went to Skaggs, Darlinghurst. In oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a fucking great school. I was so mm. lucky to go there. Um, did Saskia Smith teach you at all? Saskia Smith was that the right time? Right. Nah, I graduated no. in 2017. Okay. Um, yeah, but this, yeah, I, I just kind of started thinking about it pragmatically and. When I thought about it pragmatically, I very slowly realized that, uh, oh, there's maybe not a place for me in this industry. And so mm. I wanted to do directing, even though I didn't really know what that entailed. Um, but it wasn't like directing wasn't what I loved doing. I didn't mm. get me excited. And I was always in school plays and stuff and was so in love with it. Like was just stupid in love with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then... I started doing acting classes outside of school and I was very, very sick with an eating disorder at the time. I was really anorexic. Mm. Um, and well, actually the, the way that, that really, really sparked was when I was like kind of worst of the worst of eating disorder, like almost in hospital kind of thing. Mm. Um, I, my godmother, um, got me tickets, me and her went to see The Hanging at Sydney Theatre Company. I'm not sure if you saw that. I did. Um, yeah. And Betsy and Play and Sarah Goods directed it. And mm. um, I, like, you know, couldn't give a fuck about theatre before then. Like, my mum made me go and I was like, <laughs> um, and, like, a school made me go and stuff. And yeah. then this play, like, I'd just never seen a play that actually spoke to me or made mm. me feel anything before. Um, yeah, great. And... There's this one moment where she talks about her best friend having an eating disorder and how she didn't get her period anymore and she's uh, kind yeah. of idolising her in this way that the audience could see was so fucked up and so dangerous. Mm. She was like, she stopped time. She doesn't get her period anymore. She stopped time. And I just remember it was the first time I'd had that feeling in a theatre where your stomach just drops and I just burst into tears. Mm. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> um, and afterwards yeah. I... I went up to Sarah because Sarah was in the audience and somebody was like, that's the director. And mm. I went up to her and I just cried and cried and cried. And I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> and then Beautiful. almost, yeah, almost exactly yeah. Yeah. a year later, I think it was, mm. I was auditioning for Sarah for Doll's House Part 2. Oh, wow. And I didn't tell Sarah any, because she wouldn't remember me. Like I was mm. half the size before. And yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I didn't tell Sarah until... Opening night. That's the whole full circle thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I have so many, I was always fascinated with women with eating disorders because my dad's been Mm. in and out of mental institutions. Is that what they're even called at hospitals? I don't know anymore. Yeah. Right. My whole life. And and the kicker was when he went to get his medication completely shifted around and he was at Roselle. And that's where yeah. they shot Cozzy. <laughs> like, um, yeah. <laughs> the one in the park, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I was like, um, 
my life was just like this thing coming together and I was kind of always wanting yeah. to know what everybody was there for and what was going on and this notion yeah. of how I'm, I'm actually really, really deeply interested um, at the moment and I'm trying to yeah. be, I want to be honest all the way. So I'm, so I'm, I'm actually in um, having a bunch of repressed memories shoot through me right yeah, now. Yeah, wow. And I'm so, I'm so yeah. interested in when the subconscious, what you said earlier about, oh, I'm ready for this now, am I? Because the universe yeah, is yeah. putting it on my plate and it's a massive test and where the subconscious and the conscious um, interacts and why and why we yeah. shift ourselves from some things. But also this idea of being ready to handle it is really yeah. to me because I'm like, totally. I don't know if I'd agree, <laughs> you know. <laughs> body but then the body right the body as yeah. as a teacher and the body as um yeah. even even the heart as this guru that's that's moving you through how different people deal with trauma all that sort of stuff really interests yeah. me and particularly in the spaces perhaps that we inhabit around you know gender fluidity and um for me yeah. color there's yeah. so many people processing mm. the world just goes you know constantly throws yeah. it at you and I yeah. often wonder like how I often think how could a cis white man able-bodied white man grow how do they grow if they have mm. no adversity yeah you know like how does Hugh Sheringham or whatever his name is how does he grow <laughs> if he doesn't have adversity yeah. if everything comes yeah. And he's expected and he's entitled and feels like, or whoever, not just him, but how do you grow, right? Mm. In some ways, they are gifts. They are hard gifts. They're spiky, painful mm. gifts. But yeah, how do you gain consciousness or greater connection yeah. with other human beings if you're yeah, not totally. put at times in that space to reckon with yourself and your character? Yeah, and I think it's that thing, I can't remember who says it. I wish I could remember it. It's a great quote. I feel like you've posted it on your Instagram before. It's like the cis, white, straight, able-bodied men, mm. nobody is trying to tell you that your life has not been hard. Like for Hugh Sheridan, I am sure he, his life has been hard, mm. you know. Um, Any performer, but, yeah, have dealt with Yeah, like it's totally. Mm. Uh, but um, the thing is, your, it means your life has not been hard because of the colour of your skin or your gender. Mm. You know, like it, I, I'm not trying to take away from anybody. I don't know what's happened to them. I don't exactly. know what they went through as a child. Yes. And I'm so, I'm sure it's been a lot for a lot of people. Mm. But for the cis, straight, white, able-bodied men, it hasn't been a lot because of how the world sees them. And, you know, and that's an yeah. added thing that they just simply don't have to think about. And once you get new information, once you get new information to find out, oh, you might be hurting others through yeah. actions, that's the that's when your character is truly tested, right? Totally, totally. And and that's the the true definition of bigotry too, remaining in your position mm. in light of new opposing information. Mm. Right? So that's yeah, what I'm yeah. often like, okay, humans, um, <laughs> So yeah, it's knocking you. It's knocking you off for your block a bit. I feel like I got knocked off my yeah. block 
at like age five, then at age 12, and then yeah. again at 17, 18, 19, you know, get pushed yeah. back on the bus. Bus, 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 bus. It's an interesting time in the whole trajectory of film and TV as well, because we are seeing obviously yeah. more characters. You get to play characters that are actually from your background, your sexual orientation. Like there's all this happening yeah. right now, which, you know, I'm 42 in January. So there's... I thought you were like 28, sorry, I'm just processing that. It's such a different time, right? Yeah, um, yeah, For yeah, me, absolutely. you know, stealing roles from boys and stuff in my career <clears throat> was always, it made so much sense to me because I went to an all-girls school and I've, I've played more pants, almost yeah. as many pants roles as I've played, you know, the other drag, like pretending to be a lady, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. But how do you feel, like, do you feel now when you're making your choices about perhaps mm. even working on projects, do you have more accurate choices, do you feel, than from when you began? What do you mean by accurate? Um, race or, or ethnicity, sexuality, oh, yeah. gender. Like is there more stuff that you look at and go, that's me or that's something I can shape? Yeah, definitely. I think... I mean, when I first started out, the thing that, uh, you know, I would get down to final two for so many TV shows and then the casting director would just say, oh, they've cast a, a mum that isn't ethnic, you're just too ethnic. Wow. And I was like, honey, if I'm too ethnic, <laughs> everybody's fucked. I'm a wolf. Yeah, like, yeah. what the fresh hell are you going to tell everybody else? You know what yeah. I mean? But there was a lot of that. But I also came into the industry at a really interesting time. I started acting in at the very end of 2016, like, just before the Me Too conversation mm. had happened, just before all these massive conversations had happened. So within a year, I saw a completely different industry unfold before my eyes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting. I haven't, besides the role I'm doing now, which is kind of ambiguous, I haven't, I haven't played a straight role on screen since I came out. Mm. And that's not something I necessarily want, you know. Like I... Um, I'm capable mm. of the other. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and so I think that's something I, I definitely want to do again, but I'm also not mad that I'm not playing straight people. Yeah. Like I don't, yeah. I don't care about straight people. Um, but I know in theatre there'll always be a place for that. Um, I know in theatre there'll always be a place for that too. Like I, I love the classics and I want to do the classics for the rest of my fucking life and yeah. I want to do all of them. And yeah. I have faith that even if I'm, I don't know, if I'm playing Biff, <laughs> I don't care, like, what gender of the yeah. characters I'm playing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think in film and TV it is slowly changing. Like, I kind of gave up when I had just been doing theatre for, like, a year and a half and I was auditioning a lot and I just kept getting, no, too masculine, too ethnic, too this, too that. And I was like, fuck it, man. Like, I give up, have it, I don't care. Like, yeah. I can't. yeah. I'm not going to try and be what you want me to be. I dyed my fucking hair blonde because I was like, maybe that'll work. Wow. Like, you know? um, That's real. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I'd had people on theater jobs tell me that I needed to wear lighter foundation and all this, you know, Ooh. like, and I was just like, fuck this. <laughs> fuck it all. That's good. I don't want to do it anyway then. Yeah. Because, you know? Yeah. Um, and then when I suddenly, I, I think there's great power in, not doing that. Mm. I think that's a really shit way to go about it. Mm. And um, and 
defeatist and it's negative and nothing changes by whinging. And so I kind of, I spoke to my agent and I got, I just had this like realization of like, what if you just say you want it? Mm -hmm. What if you stop saying you don't want it because you're scared that you won't get it and you're scared of the rejection? Because that's where it all comes from. Like when I was like, no, I don't even want it anyway. Of course I wanted it. I was just so scared that I wasn't going to get it and I'd be embarrassed. And then I had this like, this light bulb moment of like, what if I just start saying that I want it and fuck the embarrassment, fuck the fear of rejection. And from that day onwards, my career has done a total 180. Like I came out as non-binary and was like, I want to work in this body Mm. as this person. Mm. I want to play these roles. Um, I want to do film and TV. I want to do hard roles. And then, Wentworth mm. and then Nine Perfect Strange, you know, mm. like it, it was this incredible thing of just changing the, I don't know, the energy you put out yeah. in the stratosphere and around you. And yeah. it really does change things, I yeah. think. Being And it's terrifying. Saying you want things is terrifying. Oh, yes. Um, I, I was, so it's a game changer. Yeah, I was just having this huge memory because this year last time I was in a, a last, sorry, this year last time, this time last year I was in LA and I just like with a friend was looking at my Instagram going oh yeah this is Meg LaFer I did this workshop with her because I want to write a Pixar and she wrote Inside Out and Captain Marvel and got this picture like hugging her and I was like I just got really emotional like ah and and, like even thinking you know because my parents came here as political refugees from South Africa they're both pretty much crippled and my dad's like severely you know he's a product of the splitting that happens when I'm pretty sure you're queer and um, mm. a light-skinned man growing up in South Africa, you know. And um, I was like yeah. going on to set in Disney with like Tracy Ellis Ross and all these people and I was like, what, what am I doing here? How did I get yeah. here? I sat next to Michael Gray who was like the line producer and I was like really freaking out. My mentor's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, dude, <laughs> this is a lot. <laughs> and my yeah. dad's like, oh, who are you? He's like, I'll oh, be kind to her. She Somehow she's become mute. And I was like, dude, he was such a bro. My, my mentor's such a yeah, bro. Yeah. I've never had a bro mentor. Like, it's really quite, I'm yeah. like, what do I do, bro with you? Like, I was trying to, like, work out, you know, okay, I'll bro out with you. Yeah. Um, and Michael Grace is next to me and he's the line producer on Mixed Dish and I just then got comfortable and I was like, oh, how's your – I noticed you're the line producer, you've been working at Disney for years, like what's your favourite project you ever worked on? And he was like, hmm, The Muppet Show. (laughs) Just like, what? So then, you know, it's so interesting I found being over there because there was was even, you know, there's no – Issue, like actually they're looking for me. They're looking for my voice. They're looking mm. for what I bring in my specific positionality. In a way in mm. Australia, it's still n- not at all that. But yeah. to be right. surrounded by those sorts of folks even at times you're sort of, because the new yeah. role you're going for is, it's an American production uh, in nine, is it Nine Lives? When I'm on right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's Nine Perfect Strangers, yes. yeah. So straight away by being on that set with those masters, you know, yeah. you, you're you going to grow. There's no two ways. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And it's there's this, I feel like, you know, because America is always in, in industry-wise, like just a couple steps in front of Australia. 
and the whole production obviously knows I'm trans. Like mm. they knew that when they cast me, but and they were like, you know, with costume, you wear whatever makes you feel comfortable. Like we'll mm. be totally open with that. But you know, there's no like. So you're playing a trans role because you're trans and this is what's happening. Mm. Trans, trans, trans. Like they just let me be. Yes. And the role isn't about being trans. I'm just a person who as an actor happens to be trans playing this role, mm. you know? Mm. And like, I don't even know if it's a trans role. It's just, a yeah. they're just a person. Yeah. Could be a girl, could be a boy. Who the fuck doesn't matter yeah. to this show? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's just yeah. super refreshing for me. Yeah. Because I don't know if you saw Euphoria. Yes. But there's... Uh, that's where I, I, I hope we get to and I yes. hope we see more of that. And some trans people disagree with me here mm. because, um, you know, we're still on the journey of, like, telling trans stories that center transness. But yeah. I kind of hope that I get to a point where I just get to play a role who is um, focusing on, you know, saving the world. And mm. they also happen to be trans, but that's not really relevant. Mm. You know, like Jules in Euphoria, mm-hmm. she... It's trans, but it's never said. It's not really central to the mm. story at all. I mean, She's a girl yeah. going through shit and falling in love with her best friend. Yeah, it's absolutely. You know, and I, I hope that's what we get to. It's, I just watched that in one swoop in America because I was just, everything mm. about it was incredible. Yeah. The pull off the Wasn't story, it? why she is where she was, all of it, yeah. absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I definitely, I'm like, absolutely, don't you, you just want to and need to work on projects like that. And we have the lift. Yeah. We have the lift here. We have the talent here. But it feels like sometimes there's know. something like on Australian production where you're like, why are we keeping the roof so low? What's happening? Mm. How do we mm-hmm. bust this open? Because we're all here. All these incredible, magical, yeah. brilliant human beings <laughs> are here. Yeah. And we all go over there sometimes and shoot for them here and all that. But why? What's yeah. going on that we, we we just really need to twist out this this sort of ceiling? And I know like you look yeah. at like Channel 9, Channel 10, all that stuff and you look at who you end up pitching to and it is old, white, cis, able-bodied yeah. men. And, and it's that sort of thing as well of like I, I feel like young people are coming with much fuller concepts of the world. Even dating, even dating, right? I'm on apps and stuff at the moment. I'm like kind of done with people in my age range because they're just locked. Yeah. They're really locked. Yeah. Across the board, queer and straight, like they're just locked. Mm. And the the fluidity that I think the newer generations are just able to be in, like there's Mm. a question, like I was working with this young artist and, you know, then went away and came back and they were like seeing in the time I was like working with them, they saw a cis man and then a trans man and then a woman. And there was no like in my generation, you'd have to like say, I'm this now and then I'm this now. Do you ever do that thing? Like it's a very artist way thing where you have like a circle of Mandela and it's like career, adventure. Romance. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, am totally. I living my full, you know, yeah. piece of the pie? Is everything filled up? Yeah. Yeah, because you're also an activist, which is tiring, yeah. right? And that can oh sometimes, God. it's yeah. like, 
where did the pie go? Because what I'm doing yeah. right now, I feel like he's just sitting in the gutter, you know, like with yeah, no pie. Totally, totally. And spent, you know. Yeah, that's the feeling. Do you feel like there's a part of your life that does, um, you know, that you concentrate on more than others or is it feeling balanced, uh, you know? I'm pretty good at the balance thing. Like I I get sucked into acting, of course, but uh, mm. being like I'm so in love with my partner and my friends and my parents that I, I love them too much to ever um, you fully fall in pull away, yeah. Hole. But I, the thing where, like, you know, Kath, my girlfriend, they notice it most when if activism stuff is happening, like, say, with the whole Hedwig mm. thing, I just more so than acting sometimes go down this rabbit hole where I have to do everything I can and I have to do it now. And does rest can go fuck itself and sleep can go fuck itself because it's more important and then happen urgently um and it's consuming and it overwhelms me and I get so infuriated by things and upset by things and wired by things you know then I don't sleep and so I think that's funnily enough that is the piece of the pie that can take over the rest if I don't keep an Mm. eye on it a cat's Mm. really good and that they'll just like I can take my phone put it in another room put on a good movie and we'll have a con. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they forced me to rest because rest is part of the fight too. And that's the thing that I have a really hard time learning. We're yeah. um, in all parts of my life. I'm a very um, zero or a hundred person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I'm either not going to do it all or I'm going to throw every fiber of my body into this. Um, yeah. And I'm learning to be a bit less like that because like when yeah. I was younger, there was like an intensity to it that I was also really addicted to and that I was like all in or all out and everything else, everything gray could go fuck itself. Um, yeah. But as I get, you know, as I grow up a little bit more, I'm learning to understand that there's actually great power and insight in the gray and yeah. um, so much importance and rest and love yes. sits in that space, you know. Rest, yes. Yeah. I'm always hungry and wanting to have sex. This is a fact. If you get right down to it, the new unprocessed peanut butter is no damn good and you should buy it in a jar, as always, in the largest supermarket you know. And I am an enemy of change, as you know. All the things I embrace as new are in fact old things, re-released. Swimming, the sensation of being dirty in body and mind. Summer as a time to do nothing and make no money. Prayer as a last resort pleasure as a means and then a means again with no ends in sight. I'm absolutely in opposition to all kinds of goals. I have no desire to know where this anything is getting me. When the water boils, I get a cup of tea. Accidentally, I read all the works of Proust. It was a summer. I was there. So was he. I write because I would like to be used for years after my death. Not only my body will be compost, but the thoughts I left during my life. During my life, I was a woman with hazel eyes. Out the window is a crooked silo. Parts of your body I think of as stripes, which I have learned to love along. We swim naked in ponds and I write behind your back. My thoughts about you are not exactly forbidden, but exalted because they are useless. Not intended to get you because I have you and you love me. It's more like a playground where I play with my reflection of you until you come back into the real you I get to sink my teeth. 
with you, I know how to relax. So I work behind your back, which is lovely. Nature is out of control, you tell me, and that's what's so good about it. I am immoderately in love with you, knocked out by all your new white hair. Why shouldn't something I have always known be the very best there is? I love you from my childhood, starting back where one day was just like the rest, random growth and breezes, constant love, a sandwich in the middle of the day, a tiny step in the vastly conventional path of the sun. I squint, I wink, I take the ride. So uh, one of my favourite bits of the website is the watch, listen, learn list because I pretty much just watch and listen and learn all the things that I get yeah. from the guests. Yeah. So what record are you listening to the most at the moment? Who is there an mm. artist that's really like them, obsessed? Yeah, I mean, Jeff Buckley always, Brace, um, mm-hmm. is just, has my heart always and I've been listening to that a lot recently. But also Prince. Mm. Mm. constantly this week yeah yeah <laughs> yes tv films stuff that you're like oh, yeah that's what my jam watching? what am i watching um i haven't been watching much tv yeah. in bloody time like kath and i just put a show on and i like pass out um <laughs> i i recently watched moulin rouge for the first time Really? Uh, the yeah, first time? Yeah, my favourite movie, uh, like ah. working with Nicole, I felt like a bit of an asshole not having seen, like, you know, yeah. one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, mm-hmm. And I watched it and I fucking loved it. I thought it was heaven. Yeah. I thought it was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it totally swept up in it. And, yeah, I, yeah, I totally bought it. I loved it. Multi Hypho is hosted and created by Candy Bowers, recorded and produced by Christian Biko, supported by Linda Hurd and Art Centre Melbourne, Creative Victoria, Darabin City Council, Bob Creative and Candy B. Big love to Senari Chandrani, Jingwa Chen and Karen Bravo. Multi Hypho, getting comfy on the intersection since 2020. Into you. Yeah, you um, too, man. You're the best. You're the best. I love the way your brain works. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's exciting. Really looking forward to seeing some of the stuff coming out in the new year, and mm. and where it might take us all and our yeah, magical and some fucking theater. Yeah, some theater. Oh, so hungry. Yes. Yeah. Um, kisses and hugs and, and lots of love. For the time we're in, uh, yeah, lots of breath and lots of rest. <laughs>